series called Better Together, and we are we've been looking at we've been looking just how important it is um, to connect with people in community, in church, in church life, in in small groups. That's why we've been launching our small groups right now. So I've been talking about this is because it is so important for people to connect with others who who follow Christ. And uh, you may not be a follower of Christ yet. You may be in the process of trying to nail that down. I would encourage you to join a group, get plugged in, get to know others, um, get up close to people who, who take Christ seriously, walk alongside with them. And um, But this morning we're looking at this idea of compounding returns. And when you see that um, title, compounding returns, what does it make you think of? What what arena of life do you think of when you think of compounding returns? Business, finances, money, right? It's It's an investment idea. You know, like making wise financial investments over time, if you invest, even if it's just a small amount, there becomes this tipping point when all of a sudden there's this return on my investment where it begins to compound and multiply exponentially, right? And when I was in my 20s um, and I interacted with any financial planner, financial person, they always said, you know, you start now, start now. Everyone's always urging people in their 20s, start now. You'll be happy you did, you know, when you're... When you're older, and, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'd start, and I'd stop in my 20s, and I'd take that money out, and I'd do something else with it. And, and it's just difficult to have that. Now I'm, I'm in my mid-30s, and I've, I've got more of a routine for putting some money away. And, and it's, it's a difficult thing, even to think in terms of how this small amount is going to make a difference in the long run. It's just so much more tempting to use every penny that we have. And so financially, it's really difficult to think, to plan, to act long-term, isn't it? It's just challenging. It's the same thing when it comes to our health, you know, and how there's this compounding return of investment of time spent taking care of ourselves. And there's this, this is maybe a little investment. But the same is true in community. When it comes to our spiritual growth, if you will, if you will invest in some things, they seem even like small, small investments. But when you, get, when you decide to invest in church life and in relationships, investing in the lives of others, it seems so small, but it makes a world of difference over the, over the long haul of your spiritual growth. It makes a difference in your life as you, as you pour out your life into the lives of others. And as you receive just the input of others, it makes, it makes a difference. The return is great. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And just kind of the, the encouragement here is to get started. We've been trying to really encourage or persuade everyone to just get started in community somewhere. And it may not be here. It may be that it needs to be somewhere else because you, you just feel like, I, need, I fit somewhere better. Well, don't, don't, don't stay in a place where you're like, I'm not growing here. I'm not, I'm not learning here. I'm not. Find a place where you can learn. Find a place where you can grow and then plug in. Invest yourself there because growth comes as we as we dive in. So we've been looking at this whole idea of living life and how it's better together. I want to start by looking at some research. This is a little different way to start, but I want to show you some research. It just really shows how the Bible, you know, what the Bible says, it really is supported by what people just, you know, as they do research, they conclude, wow, these things are really good. So they've done studies on what's the impact of a church on a city. Having churches in a city, there's great impact for the city. First thing is churches in a city increase attractiveness to a city and vitality. Many people actually look for cities based on the churches that are there. Sometimes as people are moving, they'll if they're followers of Christ, they'll they'll research what kind of churches are there. I want to I want to see what neighborhood I want to live in. I want to see what 
where I want my you know, family to interact, and they'll look and see what is there. And that's this idea of it increases the attractiveness of a city. It's kind of like if you're a parent and you look, you know, for school districts and you think about where do I want my kids to be in school. It's the same idea, but it improves the attractiveness, the vitality of the city. Also, there's help for hurting people. This is one thing that this research has concluded, that there's help within the church. And so cities are grateful for the fact that there's not just city services providing for um, hurt, but that the church is actually doing something about it. And, you know, churches are known for coming alongside people, trying to be a, a community where, where there's healing and where people can turn and build relationships and find help. Um, I have a friend who's a part of a recovery ministry in a church that's really focused, set-free church. They're focused on people, you know, finding their way out of drugs and alcohol abuse. And so they... They really they have some ranches. Um, there's there was they had a ranch in Cabazon and just kind of heading out towards the desert. And my friend, one of the pastors there, he said that it's not uncommon for the sheriffs or the local kind of law enforcement to bring people to the ranch and just say, hey, do you have room for this person? He he's pretty much committed these crimes or he's you know on his way to jail. But this is the last stop. And so rather than taking him to jail, we'd really like to. To bring them here because there's there is this track record that the church has to helping hurting people. This is what happens. Here's another thing: is there's improved marriages, stabilizes the community. Anytime you invest in your marriage, in your relationships, you know that creates a more stable community for a city. There's also increased volunteering. This is an interesting one. Increased volunteering is it's what what's happening in a church is people begin to serve. People plug in, they begin to serve. Like in our church, we have a lot of people who serve because this isn't our building. If you're newer here, then this is not just our building. This is the city's building. We rent it from them. We set up, we tear down every week. But it's, it's not just one or two people. It's, it's, a, it's a church full of people that really help with all of our ministry teams, with all of our just the aspects of how we do church life. It's very much a community um, approach. And, but the volunteering, when you think about volunteering or serving, Giving up your time. Volunteering, is, is, it almost makes no sense, doesn't it? Volunteering has such a low personal benefit. It just doesn't make sense to volunteer our time. It just seems like, what am I going to get out of that? But then when Jesus comes in and you recognize he was a servant, he humbled himself, became a servant, he, he gets a hold of our heart. And once you begin to live a life of service as he calls us to live, then serving, volunteering makes a whole lot more sense. And, and what happens, though, is the church is shaping volunteers for the community as well. Anytime people who volunteered in church go and serve in some sort of a public forum, public club, citywide club, teams, things like that, they're, they're, they're good volunteers because there's things that they're developing as far as their core attitudes and just the way that they relate to each other. Um, I, I've sat on some teams and as, as, a, as coaches and I'm like, man, this is a the way they do this, you scratch your head and you're like, man, it's just not working. But you at least know, man, there's some things I can do to improve the culture of this group or I can improve the dynamics of this group. You learn that because of the investment you make in a church community. There was a study in Philadelphia that said that the average church is worth about $115,000 a year to the community because of the services and the volunteering. Isn't that interesting? This Saving the city money... Having churches 
who are helping care for hurting people, who are volunteering for programs, who are being a part of things that are helping create vitality. The church really does make a difference. Also, the presence of churches in a city, it shows that there's a, it creates this measurable decrease in crime and deviance. This is interesting. Where there's churches, there's lower crime. For a long time, one of the safest cities in our country was La Mirada. And you know what's in La Mirada? People. Biola. Biola. Biola is a, a, you know, maybe the enemy for some of you who are Cal Baptist students. But not all bad things are at Biola. You know, what it, one of the good things is it has created a, um, it's a very safe city. A lot of the graduates, they settle in that area. It's just, it's contributed to the safety. I mean, I can't say that for sure, but what else would do that? You know, I asked last service if that's the case in Riverside. Because it seemed like the crime and stuff has went down over the years in Riverside. And that could be, I could be wrong. I'm just guessing. But I remember when I was a student, there was always helicopters over campus. And it was like, another criminal run, running through here. You know, now they have nice fences to protect all of you students. And, uh, but it wasn't uncommon for us to be on campus with a helicopter shining a light on you as you're walking. You're like, I'm just trying to get somewhere, you know. And, but there was, it seems like even the, just the city of Riverside has really improved as, it's, as CBU has grown. What was at one point when we were going there as students, my wife and I, you know, 1,000, 1,200 students now, like five, maybe more than that, 5,000, maybe more. And it's just many, many people that are being trained in, in how to walk with God. Not everybody. Not everybody responds to that. But many people are settling in these areas and it's improving um, communities. And that's, that's what... that's part of the difference that churches make. Here's some benefits to the individual. Really quickly, increase in civic skills like people are better. Networkers, organizers, they, things they learn in church and it helps them improve in the civic arena. Marked improvement in health. Look at this quote from John Orberg out of a book he wrote. He said, researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, but strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Great. I'm good with that. But when people connect and get involved in a church community, there's real benefit for them. Also for their mental well-being. So another thing as far as a benefit to individuals. Mental well-being. Look at this list. Decrease in stress. Increase in self-respect. Greater sense of hope and life purpose. Decrease in levels of depression, suicide. All these different things we find out. Author Henry Cloud, he said this. God created us with a hunger for relationship. Like we want to be connected. For relationship with Him and with our fellow people. At our very core, we are relational beings. The soul cannot prosper without being connected to others. There's this, we're, we're made for this. God's the author of community. We looked at that a few weeks ago. God's designed us to connect with others. King Solomon in the Bible, read this in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10. Two people are better than one. I mean, life is better together. Because they have a good reward for their toil. The word reward it has the idea of the benefit. The compounding return comes through community. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another 
to lift him up. You don't want to get tripped up in life and realize, wow, I've isolated myself. I've not ever connected in a meaningful way. Many people don't do that. But there's a kind of synergy that happens when we do life together. There's these compounding returns when we do life in groups. If you fall down, there's someone there that can help pick you up. We do fall down. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus makes it clear that we stumble, we fall. He said to his disciples, Luke 17:1, temptations to sin are sure to come. They're going to come. They're sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It's impossible to go through life without dealing with traps and temptation. It's impossible. Don't for a second think you've arrived and that you're like somehow above sin. None of us, this side of heaven, will ever arrive at that point to where we won't have to deal with temptation. We won't have to deal with things that, that can, can get hold of us, can devastate us. You might have some patterns in your life, some things that you were into that you know, man, that's wrong, it doesn't please God, I need to stay away from it. You know, you might have a track record of months, even years of, of freedom from those things. But don't for a second think, I'm beyond that. That's foolishness. First Corinthians 10, 12. It's not up on the screen, but it's a verse that I keep in my mind. Just It's something I need to always remember. We all need to remember. It's a verse about, it's a verse before a, before a key verse on temptation. It says in First Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The verse before it says this. It says, um, I may butcher it, but it says, um, so be careful if you, are th- if you think you're standing firm, lest you fall. It's, I might have got that close. but it's, Be careful. And, and the verses that lead up to that talks about the history of the children of Israel. And these were people that saw God really work. I mean, they, they had the stories. They had the, you know, they had these amazing things that they saw happen. They saw the Exodus experience. They saw God part the Red Seas, pass through on dry ground. God pulled off some amazing thing among them. Fire on a mountain, Ten Commandments, all these different things. They saw this living God and they, they, had, they had, you know, in a sense, eyewitness encounters of God's work. And so, but then in 1 Corinthians it talks about how they, many of them didn't make it to the promised land. So, so many died in the desert, some because of grumbling, different sins. They, they gave into some sexual immorality and different things. And he says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful lest you fall. I think the context that sets us up is, hey, if, if they struggled and they saw God come through eyewitnesses, how much more do we need to keep this in mind? And then he says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. I'm like preaching a whole other sermon now because I wasn't planning on going in that direction. But the point being, when the temptations come and we do fall, because we at times we're going to blow it, we need people there in our lives. We need to be close to people who can pick us up and say, look, and dust us off and say, God, His grace is still enough for you. He's still at work in your life. He's not through with you because it's so easy to veer off course. And it's easy to drift away from church. Let's face it. It's easy to just drift off, drift away from connection. But it's far more difficult to drift away if there's people that care about you in a church and you care about them. It's, it's far more difficult to drift at that point. This is why it's so important to plug in in community. When I was in college, it was really popular for people to replace church with the school, especially a Christian school like Cal Baptist. Like, that was their school. They have chapel. That's enough for me. 
And so you, you could replace the church with, you know, the dorm life or the different things that you have. But what tends to happen is if people never really make a meaningful connection in church, when they leave the college atmosphere, they don't, they don't see the value in that. They missed it for so long. They didn't experience the benefits, the compounding return in their life. They drift away. So many people never find their way back into the church. So the Bible shows us this. God, he intends for the church community to make a, con- a unique contribution in our lives. It's a different type of contribution that we get in church. And here's, here's how we do it. Let's check out how we do this. This is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. The, Hebrews is a complex book, not an easy book to understand or read. Um, the writer of Hebrews, God uses him to really try to help us connect the Old Testament, the law, to Christ. Like, what does all the old stuff have to do with Jesus? And so Hebrews chapter 10 talks a lot about the sacrificial system and how when people sinned, that there would be offerings and sacrifices made for them to be forgiven and their sins to be covered. But then God sent the ultimate, the perfect sacrifice in Jesus, who was the sacrifice, who was perfect, but he was offered up once and for all. doesn't need to be continually sacrificed. Jesus doesn't need to keep going to the cross. His, his death was, was enough. And so this... Chapter, the verses we're going to look at, is a call to stay connected. It's a call to keep walking with Jesus. It's a call to also stay connected to the church, to keep hanging in there. Because if we don't, there's a warning near the end of this. If we walk away, he says, it's, it's, it's what he's trying to get at is, what was the point of Jesus dying? If we go back into the old ways of thinking, of living, we start beating ourselves up over all that we've ever done. And so he says, Christ died for our sins, therefore stay connected. And so look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Like when our heart is wavering, when we're thinking about drifting, hold fast. Hang in there. Hold fast the confession of our hope, of our faith, without wavering, because we waver, for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful to forgive, is what he's saying. His, his blood was enough to cover and forgive, to connect us with God. Verse 24 says, And so, and let us consider how to stir one another, I'm sorry, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the aim of relating in church community is this it's to motivate one another to love and to good works, to good deeds. And this is what our small groups are intended to do. This is one of the, the key investments that we make, the small investments, is, is we stay involved in trying to learn how to love or how to motivate others to love and good deeds. We keep doing that. So look at what this... I mean, the, the reason why this is so important is because we, none of us wake up in the morning thinking about how can I motivate others to love and good deeds. I, I'll confess, I never wake up with that. As my first thought. And I roll out of bed. Oh, how can I motivate my wife to love and good deeds today? Or my kids as they frolic into my room. Oh, offspring. I desire to... I'm just motivating you today to love and good deeds. It's just so difficult. We, we just don't... So we need, the, we need this idea of staying connected in a community. Because that subtle nudge, that pressure on our lives, it keeps us in a place 
where we get motivated by others to do love and good deeds, and then we realize, wow, I need, I need to motivate others to love and good deeds. There's this giving and taking in relationships when we actually connect and stay committed and connected in a church community. We experience God's blessing. How do we do that? Look at this verse. Or look at the key words in this verse, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Verse 24, he says, let's consider. The word consider it means to exercise my mind or to begin thinking about how to motivate someone else to do, the, to do good and to do, lo- to do love and to do good. It's, it's thinking. How can I motivate another person? This is not going to happen if when I'm relating to others, I'm only thinking about my needs. This won't happen if I'm only thinking about how to make myself look good or how, how I can impress others with, I, with what I have to say. It's only going to happen if I'm just thinking about what do they need? What is it that they need right now? What's their next step in their growth? How can I motivate them to take that next step? That's, that's what can happen in a community if we're close to each other. We have to stop and think. We have to consider and then he says, consider how you may stir one another towards love and good deeds. The word stir, it literally means to incite. To incite. Or, in a sense, to um, provoke. It's the, the New International Version reads, to spur one another on. This is the English uh, Standard Version. It says, to stir one another. But the idea really is to aggravate or to I'm sorry, not aggravate, agitate. Like in a washing machine, something's being agitated and stirred. And so that's how it is. When we're doing life with others and someone is trying to stir us to grow, they're trying to stir us towards love and good deeds, it kind of feels we get defensive. It's kind of like someone says or does something that's opposite of what I'm thinking, what I'm doing, and I get defensive. But I know in my mind this might be right what they're saying. They may have something good to say to me. I'm getting stirred at that point. I'm like in the washing machine. And it's shaking me and, and it's challenging me. And I know, man, it's probably right, but it's not how I feel. It's not what I want. I have a few responses. When someone starts stirring me, challenging me, spurring me, my options are either I just I try to make myself feel better by rationalizing what I've said or what I'm doing. And so I just kind of puff myself up. That's one option. Eh, they don't really know. I've got this figured out. Or another option is I could just get irritated at the person who's trying to stir me. I get irritated because they're challenging me. And then I could think, why, why are you always picking on me? All they're doing is they're stirring you. They're actually, someone may be stirring you towards love and good deeds. They may be just obeying what a commitment they've made. They're stirring. Another option we have is we could just say, God, show me what you're trying to show me through this. Is there something wrong in me, in me that needs to change? Is there something that you need to do in me? And, and I'll listen if there is. And so this process is extremely important. But that process of being stirred, that can happen over and over and over over the course of decades in church life if you'll stay connected. This, is, this next word is not neglecting, or this next phrase, not neglecting, meaning keep showing up, keep meeting with others, plug in, it's easy to drift. Another word, encouraging, he says. Not neglecting, but encouraging one another all the more as, as you see the day drawing near, the meaning Christ's return. You come alongside. Encouragement means to come alongside someone and to call them forward. The picture I have in my mind is to run up alongside someone who's getting tired and saying, hey, we're almost there. Let's keep going. And you run alongside with, they run alongside with you and they help you get to the end. 
Anytime I'm able to run with someone else, usually people can push me a mile or two further than I would go on my own. This is what I'm learning. You want to run with good people. You want to run with people who are going to encourage you and call you forward. Keep moving you forward. It's the same true of your spiritual life. We need this. We need support, don't we? We need people who are there to support us and pick us up. But we also need people who are going to challenge us, who will stir us, who will encourage us to keep moving forward. This is what happens in a small group. It doesn't always happen. We can't promise. I wish Scott and I, as we plan out these groups, it's like, man, we really, we, we pray, God, will you help us to figure out the best way to help people grow. And we try to, I mean, we spend time really developing our groups and training our leaders and things like that. But we can't promise those things. But our desire is really that people would experience that this type of change and growth and challenge and, and relational connection that we see in Scripture. Here, here's a list of rewards from really staying connected in church community one is good days become a life we can love if people start like hebrew says consider how we may stir one another on towards love and good deeds if we start having growth because people are stirring us to have good deeds in our life a bunch of good deeds you know a bunch of good days of good deeds become a life that you really love that's what psalm 34 shares anybody that wants a good life Psalmist tells us how to do it. He says, if you want a good life, he says, you know, part of your life is, you know, watch, watch out for lies. Watch out for speaking evil. Turn from evil. Do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. You start stacking up a life that's been challenged, you know, days and weeks of challenge and growth, you start having a, a good life. Another reward is this. We have someone to pick us up when we fall. We already looked at that. That's Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Another thing. A training environment of higher value than the gym. The gym is really important. First Timothy, first uh, chapter four, verse seven says that we're to train ourselves to be godly. Scripture says, you know, physical training, like going to the gym, it's of it's of some value, but training in godliness has value for all things. Is what Scripture says, and it holds promise for both the present life and the life to come. Like training godliness, and that's what happens in community. It just it has benefit all around. It's it's of much higher value than just going to the gym, of doing other things for our lives. There is absolutely no gym in the world that you can just walk into and somehow magically they spray you with this, they douse you with like some solution that you walk. You don't need to do the work. It just does it for you. You walk through the doors and poof, oh, great. Come out and you're just like feeling good, feeling good, feeling loose. Had a good one today. There's no real, there's no, it always requires the effort on our part to get in the gym, to do the work. We have to take the responsibility upon ourselves to, to, to physically get into shape. The same is true of our spiritual life. There's no way to just magically, I'm going to attend and then I'm going to walk through the doors and I'm going to just be a different person. That's not how it works. We have to take responsibility for our own growth. So this taking initiative to get connected somewhere is, is that effort you make. And then staying connected is, is how you keep growing. Another thing is it brings increased effectiveness. We grow in every way. This is Ephesians chapter 4. Paul lays out how the church is intended to work, but one of the things Paul's concerned with is full maturity. He wants people to grow up to full maturity. The fifth thing, we find examples to inspire us and imitate. We imitate them. Hebrews 13, verse 7. You could jot that down. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That verse in Hebrews 13.7, 
gives us a major clue as to who we should follow. We should follow people who have good outcomes in their lives. You want to follow people who have a long-standing track record, who've demonstrated that God you know, is really working in their lives. They're experiencing His blessing, the benefits of walking with Him. Follow people who've experienced His blessing and the benefit. Because there's all sorts of appearances of spiritual maturity, but then there's reality. And so you want to you want to stick around. This is part again part of the reason why you get involved in a church community is it gives you a time to stick around long enough to figure out who to imitate, who's experiencing the blessing of God in their life. Because there are people in every church who 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 desire to do what the Scripture says, they obey, and then they experience the blessing of that. And so you want to you want to. You want to be able to experience that and not just, again, bounce around. The sixth thing, a deep sense of purpose. We experience what we were created to do, to connect, because God made us as relational beings. Another thing is refreshment and God's blessing. Those two final things. Just There's just so much that we learn about what the compounding returns of all that comes through the church community. God, God really does um, work in this way. And it's different. You can grow on your own apart from getting involved in a church, you can certainly grow on your own, but you won't experience that compounding kind of side of things in your spiritual life as if you did with plugging in. I want to invite the the band to come up now. And on the back of your connection card, you'll see there's a a couple of lines for next steps. I encourage you to finish up filling out this um, white card. In a few moments, our ushers are going to be coming around to receive the offering. Um, But... Maybe on those blank lines, if there's something very specific that God has brought to your mind related to what you need to do as far as application over this morning's message, if there's just something you feel like, man, I really need to jot that down to apply or to remember. Maybe there's a verse you need to memorize. Just be very specific there. And the other one is just sign me up for a group. We're just really trying to, um, obviously, help people find their way into a small group. We've had a really, I think, you know, we're over... 150 people that have signed up for groups at this point, and so, um, which is really exciting for us, you know. And um, I don't know, it's probably that's probably about 60 or 70 percent of the adults that attend, and so that's really exciting, more than we've ever seen in the past. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your Word and the things that you've declared to us through it. We pray, God, that we would not be trying to veer off course and chart out our own life and just off-road and try to figure this thing out on our own. Lord, help us to stay close to you. Help us to obey your word and to to follow your plans for living. Um, God, I pray that for everyone here that is on the fence as far as getting involved and making a real um, connection personally, Lord, I pray you just nudge them into a group, Lord, that, that they would see the value of all these benefits we've talked about and that they would experience your blessing in their life as they begin to, to plug in to get to know others, God. Um, Lord, I pray you just you remove fear, Lord, if that's part of the equation for people that may be just on the fence. I pray, you know, there may be fears about what would happen in a group or have ne- I mean, never been in anything like that. I pray you just help them to take a step of faith, God. And Lord, for, for, for those that have been in groups, I pray that, that they would apply this verse in Hebrews just considering how we can stir one another on towards love and good deeds, that we would look at these small groups as opportunities to really do that, to apply that, to really consider how we can help others grow and 
take next steps, God. So we love you. We thank you for this time we've been able to share. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.